two years ago, Michael asked me to preach the Sunday after the presidential election. <laughs> Many people thought he was wise beyond his years. But two years later, look where I am. The Sunday after the midterm election. <laughs> and he's asking me to ask you to pour out your hearts and your pocketbooks. He's got it going on. I mean, he really is a smart kid. I'd like to tell you that I taught him everything I know, but I can't do that. But his parents are living right there, and uh, I think he's wise beyond his years. Hmm. Michael told you that uh, I, have been, I have been struggling somewhat with all of this because in all of my years of pastoring, I never asked for money. I didn't. I, I have to tell you that I thought that if we were doing what God asked us to do, and if we caught the spirit of God going along in our church, that the money would come. People would give because that was a gracious response of seeing us being God's hands and feet. I never asked for a dime. Never had to. Every year, the budget went up, and everybody, every year, gave money to that budget. Maybe a little beyond. If things happened during the year and something came up, like a Hurricane Matthew, which did, and, and we, as a church, adopted about six motels at an exit, uh, off of 95, the money poured in. So when Michael said, well, what I want you to do, what we would like you to do, is because we approach things a little bit differently here, we want this to be a spiritual act of giving. We want you to uh, encourage the folks, and as you've heard from Michael and from Marie and, and from Anne and from John, uh, this is all about consecrating our life to God, and, and in grateful response, we pour out. And based on that pouring out, we set the budget. So, I hadn't experienced that before. I'd, I'd approached it from a little different way, and so this was a wonderful opportunity for me, and I met, I met that. I, I really wanted to go in and approach this differently and, and, and look at it through a new set of eyes. I have always given out of gratitude to God, I, but... By the session setting a budget, 
by the session looking at things through worldly eyes, in reality, I see now that we were constraining God. We were constraining God from the standpoint that we were constraining God's people. And, and, and so what happened was things that only God could have done may not have happened because we set the limits. And, and the thing was that that was proven out when things like Hurricane Matthew happened and people out of a gracious generosity poured out. So I've been on a spiritual journey these last several weeks. It's been good. It's been wonderful. And one of the places that uh, I went, by the way, uh, if you ever want to take a look at, at this in greater depth from a husband and wife or an individual perspective, I would encourage you to go to generousgiving.org. That's all I'm going to say about it, but uh, check it out, generousgiving.org. And it was set up by several businessmen who came to a different perspective on giving as Christians, Christ followers. And uh, the blessings that poured back were and have been amazing. So as I was on my journey of, of, of digging in and looking, I, um, I came across those words of Jesus that's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, you would think that would have been in the Gospels, right? It's not. Most, many of you may know that it comes from the 20th chapter of Acts. It comes from, from Paul meeting with the elders of the church of Ephesus. Paul is on his way to Jerusalem and ultimately to Rome. <laughs> Paul is... Uh, Paul is passing on some words of wisdom. Heck, let me, let me just set the stage for you and, and, and give it the context. Paul is being led pretty strenuously by the Spirit to get up and go. And go to Jerusalem. And oh, by the way, Paul, on the way, I just want to give you a heads up. You're going to be imprisoned. And by the way, Paul, you're going to, you're going to be afflicted. But I want you to go. And he did. But on the way, and he, and he didn't go through Asia Minor. He, he was taking ship. And, and, but he stopped at Miletus. It was, there were four harbors in that, in that city. And in Miletus, he sent word to the church at Ephesus. He wanted the elders to come. 
these were the people that he helped lead to Christ. These were the people that he discipled. He, these were the people that God had chosen and Paul had been instrumental in, in making sure that they were the leaders of this church. They were dear friends, precious friends of Paul, and they came to be with him. And he tells them that he's not going to see them again. If you go to the 25th verse, it says, And now behold, I know that none of you, none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. So then the question becomes, what does Paul tell them? It's the last thing that he wants them to remember for the rest of their lives. This mighty man of God, what was it that he wanted to impart to them and to us? And so let me pick up in the 32nd verse of chapter 20. And this is what he tells them. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that he would not, they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Hmm. Wow. So did you pick up the two, two key points there? What, what, what are the two things that he is admonishing them to do. One is pretty obvious. Hey, remember the gospel. Remember the gospel. Remember the word of grace. Basically, believe the gospel. Live by the gospel. And remember, you are sinners saved by 
grace. But the second point, the second point, I was perhaps a little surprising to me. He says, I didn't live among you with, uh, in greed or covetedness, but I lived a life poured out to help the poor and remember Jesus' words. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Basically, I would say he was saying, live radically generous lives as a reflection of the blessing of God's grace and the blessing of God's salvation that is provided through Christ. If you know your sinners saved by grace and not by works, really do live lives of radical generosity. And if you're people who really do have a spiritual inheritance, you will be extravagantly generous with your earthly gifts. And if you believe the gospel, you will live as I have lived. But in the midst of all of that, he gives them a warning. A warning. He warns them about covetedness. He warns them about materialism and greed. You know, in all my years as a pastor, I have never had somebody come and confess to me that they've spent too much on themselves. I'm serious. I'm serious. I've heard them talk about <coughs> adultery. I've heard them talk about lust. I've heard them talk about stealing. I've, I've heard them talk about climbing over people to get to the top, but I never heard them tell me they were spending too much on themselves. And yet, if, if, you, if you think about it, <laughs> If you hear, if you read that, and Jesus talks about being freed from materialism over and over again. I mean, he doesn't talk about adultery just a little bit, but not, not, not anywhere like he talks about, about freedom from materialism, probably because if you're an adulterer, you know you're an adulterer. If you steal, you know you've stolen. If you lust, like Jimmy Carter, you remember and you know. But there's something very insidious about coveting something. Because folk don't really think they're doing it. It just kind of grows inside. Now, I'm looking to see if my wife is in here. Bobby, are you here? I didn't think so. She's with the kids. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> no, I'm only kidding. I, I, the reason that I'm laughing is because something I'm going to say, she would be yelling amen in the back row. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm confessing here, okay? Here's the deal. 
I love giving money away. I do. I love it. In fact, it has become an issue in our, in, in our family at times because I have given money away to every sad story that crosses my path. I have been used and abused. <laughs> I've got a few friends of mine that are smiling back there. And so, as a result of giving some of that away, not for the right reasons, I've calmed down a little bit. I'm a little more in perspective on that. But, but, if I get something like that beautiful Mossberg over under international silver reserve 12 gauge shotgun that I won through the fateful fire <laughs> raffle, then I have to get and don't even hesitate to talk about getting that beautiful case that goes along with it. And oh, by the way, you know, my hearing protectors are not up to snuff. <laughs> and so I now have brand new hearing protectors, which have, without a doubt, the advanced technology so that I can have a conversation with you, but at the same time, my ears are protected when I'm firing my weapon. Everybody needs those. And I have no problem when I started to work for my next door neighbor in construction, I had to have the tools. You know, I don't want to come up short. I want to make sure that I've got, I'm, I'm looking right over Tate. I got to have the right tools to do the job just in case. Right, Tate? Amen. I have an amen. I didn't hear it, but, but your wife will give me an amen. It's a... <laughs> If you, you know, it, it, it's that. I, I gotta have it. And I don't even think about it because I don't have to. I'm blessed that way. I don't have to. I do it kind of to live up to my own expectations, but honestly to live up to the expectations of, of others. I, I want, for example, if I go and, and, and do something at, uh, at Terry's house, I want to have the right tools to do it. And I want her to think that I'm the guy that she, you know, the go-to guy. It's part of how my identity is set in my own eyes. You know, the question is, does... Your identity really rests in what Christ thinks of you or me, and what God thinks of me in Christ, or does my identity come from what other people think of me? And honestly, it's both. It's both. And I struggle with that. That is a daily struggle 
with that. There's a lot of things I don't really care about. I mean, I care about the utility of my clothes, but I don't care about whether or not I've got the latest fashion. The tie I'm wearing, the big heart tie, I bought 20 years ago when I was the chief of security at Cumberland County Schools. I don't need new ties. It's a waste of money in my mind. My wife has helped me a little bit because she has, let's put it this way, she loves nice clothes. And <laughs> I got people going like this all through the congregation today. Hallelujah. Okay, so, so there you are. There you are. It may be clothes. It might be a nice home. It might be the latest tech gadget. That's my son's, my youngest son's addiction. If it's, you know, if it comes out, I got to have it. I got to have it. And it's not the money that's the idol. It's the approval you get that is way, way, way too important. The money is always in the service of an idol always in the service of an idol. And we're quick, quick to say Jesus is my identity, but actually Jesus knows and has said, where your treasure is, there also is your heart. Now, some of you may proudly proclaim that you don't spend money on things. Or if you got stuff, you'll fix it and fix it and fix it until it'll keep going because it's good enough. It's that, it's that good heritage that I see up at Grandfather Mountain every year when we're doing the Highland Games. But even that, in its own way, is a sort of an idol. People don't know how much money you got and indeed, uh, you probably should be given more than you do. I'm not going to, I mean, but the fact of the matter is, when we keep everything close to the vest, what are we trying to do? We're trying to control our world and control what's going on around us. So we've all got stuff that fills out our identity. It may be the body, it may be romance, it may be family, it may be power, it may be approval or job security. Or if I control my world, I am somebody. And truth be told, I suspect that we're all, to some degree, looking at something besides Jesus. And the idols are like an addiction. Ask me if most alcoholics who haven't gone through the 12-step program and haven't, haven't spoken out loud that they're, you know, that I am, uh, you know, that I'm an alcoholic, make excuses that I'm not really. They certainly, in my experience, have tried to minimize it. So, bottom line, 
to the degree that you're free from these false idols, you'll be able to give your money away. You'll want to give your money away like crazy. And to the degree that you're tied up in those idols, to the degree that you really love spending your, you know, on your house or on the stuff inside the house or on clothes or your phone, to that degree that you're enthralled with those false saviors is why we're not more generous. So how do we break it? How do we break it? Well, if you set a, if you set a budget and you turn around and you put it out there and then you say, listen, is, you know, effectively you're appealing to the will. It's God's will that we raise this budget every year, so we need to give. And you give almost out of obligation. Or we, or we talk about all the, we appeal to emotions. We see emotions used all the time. All you got to do is watch it on TV. Or if you're a CPA, I could, I could turn around and spin a good story that the reason you need to give is because I can get more bang for the buck. Let me tell you something, if you invest in this, I can almost guarantee you, you'll get this kind of a return. But in my mind, they all fall short. The only way we can make a substantive change is to deal with the heart, with the heart. And so how do we change? Well, grace, Paul said, I commit to you the word of grace. The word of grace will make you generous. And what is the Sunday school definition of grace? Come on, let me hear. What is, what is the Sunday school definition of grace? Unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. All right. I'm sure we've all, we've all heard them. <laughs> I remember coming up, it was God riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. That was what grace was. You see, all other, all other treasures but Jesus will enslave you. They'll run your life. You have to have them. And I could spend a, a whole other sermon talking to you about that in the military and, and when, that, when some stuff was taken away from me, and all of a sudden, my world fell apart because it was built around my identity as a hard-charging, upward-mobile officer with great jobs. I understand. I had to have it, and I panicked if I didn't. And if something goes wrong, you'll do just about anything to get it back. Just about anything. But Jesus is the one treasure who died to purchase you and me. All other treasures will demand you do anything to get them. Why did Jesus come? What did he not have? I mean, he was rich. He had the world. He had the universe. The only thing he didn't have was who? Us us. He didn't have you and me. And if he hadn't come to earth, 
If he hadn't been born in a manger, if he hadn't suffered and died on the cross, he would not have us. And by coming to earth, he, he lost his glory. By going to the cross, he lost his father. He lost the universe. <laughs> Effectively, he was sent to hell. <coughs> so what does that mean? As I, as, I was, as I was working on this and meditating on this, it means you and I are more valuable to him than the universe and his glory. And if we are his ultimate treasure, and we are the, you know, we are what drives him, and he'll do anything for us because he's already done everything for us. And when I see him making me the ultimate treasure of his life, that melts my heart. And that makes him the ultimate treasure of my life. And to the degree I see him making me his ultimate treasure and the one thing he was willing to die for, it melts my heart and it makes him the one thing that I'm willing to die for. And when I get to that place, then all those other things that have been of great value to me become nice things. Because they're not the thing. And the next thing I know, my, my dollars are free in a very different way. The more I understand, the more you understand what Christ did for, for me and for you, the more you immerse yourself, the more you immerse yourself in the expense, the cost, the more the Bible, the more free, the more free you'll be to help heal the world with your giving. And so, Michael, I thank you for that journey. I, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to give. I thank you for the opportunity that we have. To not be told how much we need to do, but to be free to give freely as we are led, as we evaluate what and who are important in our lives. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.